Join me in a reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Seeing the crowds, he went on up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. Amen. Welcome to our second week in our journey through the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we learned that this is far more than just a collection of Jesus' teaching. There's so much in it that you could treat it as sort of an encyclopedia of wisdom for life and faith, but Matthew presents it as a single sermon. This is the closest thing we have in Scripture to Jesus' manifesto. As we've been working this year, trying to understand what it meant when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, we've learned that the kingdom is both something that is now in the lives of believers. Jesus reigns in our lives. All authority has been given him, he said at the end of the Gospels. But yet there is a future of the kingdom. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. The church has been given the keys to the kingdom of God. What we bind on earth, what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. The gates of hell will not even prevail against us. We are the kingdom of God on the move. And where we bring the reign, the influence of Christ to culture around us, we're extending the kingdom. This is Jesus' description of the culture of that kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount breaks up very nicely into four movements. And the first we're calling kingdom blessings. But we may as well also call it kingdom people. If you had traveled into areas of the world that other people don't often travel, as as missions teams we often do that. Last year we had a group head down to the Dominican Republic with Children of the Nations. They're going back there this year. Several of us are also going to Uganda for the first time. And when you go to those kind of places where people don't travel, they say, well, tell us about it. 
And what is one of the first things you'll often say when you describe a new culture to someone? You'll say, well, the people are, right? People are so happy. Uh, it's one of the things when I went to Malawi, I was struck by is in, in the face of great poverty for some, they have tremendous joy. Well, that's what's happening here. Jesus is describing God's kingdom. He's describing the culture of that kingdom. And the first thing he's doing is saying, let me tell you about the people. The people are, and then he talks about them through the Beatitudes. What is probably for many of you a very familiar passage. My hope is that as we dig into it, your view, your perspective of the meaning of it will be transformed. And the first thing that we see, you know, there are many powerful words in Christian faith. If we were coming up on a list of the top five words, you might say faith, grace, right? Agape, unconditional love, shalom, peace. Key words that come to our mind as followers of Jesus. I want this word to be in the top five. It's the very first word that Jesus speaks in his very first sermon. What's the word? Blessed. Bless. The Greek word is makarios. That first word sets the tone for this whole sermon. And it sets the tone for this opening movement which describes the people of God who live under the reign of Christ. We are above everything blessed. So whatever we're going to face as we get into this sermon, and there will be some tough statements. Jesus will say some pretty radical and strong things in this sermon. We have to lay all of that inside this idea that this kingdom of God is a blessed place. And the people of that kingdom are blessed people. Jesus, I think, defines that blessing in John 10.10. And I'd like you to say this with me. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You may know that that word abundantly means life to the full, and I think that's a great working concept of what this blessed life is that God has called us into. You may have a version of the Bible that translates the word blessed into happy, but by the way we mean happiness today, it falls far short. Why settle for mere happiness when you can have blessedness? They are not the same thing. You see, happiness depends on what happens. Happiness is conditional. It's based on circumstances. And that means that happiness is at best temporary. Our documents in the founding of our nation say it's our right to pursue happiness. Well, by what we mean by that today, I want to tell you that's an empty pursuit I don't know that's what our framers intended, but happiness does not last. The circumstances that are bringing happiness in your life right now will not bring happiness in the next phase of your life. You'll need new circumstances. And there's nothing like that that's guaranteed. You know, we used to say there's two things you can count on, death and taxes. Now I think there's three things you can count on, death, taxes, and change. Life is constantly changing. If your idea of the Christian faith is a way to bring mere happiness, 
If you're listening to preachers on the television that are telling you what you need to do is to follow their plan, read their book, and you'll have the circumstances in your life that make you happy, you'll be healthy and wealthy, (laughs) those pastors are sending you down a pointless pursuit. It's all temporary. And so to suggest that Christianity is about you becoming happy, missing the whole point. We're called to something so much better than that. Um, I have actually bought a few lottery tickets in recent years. I'll confess that. I, some of you think, well, that's against the Bible. That's gambling, isn't it? I don't think it's gambling, actually. I think it's a dollar's worth of dreaming. That's how I, I look at it. <laughs> It's either a cup of coffee or a ticket. I'm, sometimes I joke, I say, you know I, know, I know money isn't the basis of happiness, but I sure like to be a test case for that. <laughs> we all envision what it would look like, and some of you may actually be blessed with that. Compared to everybody else in this room, your, your standards are way up. But we all look at the next level up. That'll make me happy. And so what we end up doing when our life doesn't pan out that way is settling for something short of happiness. Maybe we call it being happy enough. Maybe, maybe I just need to settle. I've got a short video clip from a movie in 2007 called Waitress. I'd like you just to watch and think about for a moment. Last piece. Sold out even faster than usual today. Good on us. Thanks. Cal? Yeah. Are you happy? I mean, would you call yourself a happy man? Well, if you're asking me a serious question, I'll tell you. Happy enough. I don't expect much give much. I don't get much. I generally enjoy whatever comes up. It's my truth. Summed up for your feminine judgment. I'm happy enough. Why do you ask? No reason. Now, you may think that short order cook has found the secret to being able to sing through your job. I'm I'm happy enough. I don't expect much. I don't get much. I don't give much. I generally enjoy what comes my way. I'm happy enough. Maybe, Maybe that's the answer, not to reach so big, but just to learn to appreciate what I have. That's just another mistaken pursuit of happiness. It's just a a lower standard. One of the things that you see happening in terms of our our Facebook messages, have you noticed how people will say, my kids came over today and um, I had a wonderful birthday and then they'll put hashtag and what do they say? Feeling blessed. (laughs) Feeling blessed. Again, we're, we're misunderstanding what blessedness is because it's the circumstances that come our way. I'm just temporarily happy, that's all I am. 
God calls us to something far more significant. And that's what we mean by blessed. The word makarios actually is not a feeling, it's a declaration about someone. It means to have found approval or to be applauded. In his wonderful little book, if you want to get a homespun, bring a tissue box with you take on the Beatitudes, read Max Licato's book, The Applause of Heaven poetic description of what it means to be blessed by God, to be applauded. God applauds the poor in spirit and gives them the kingdom of heaven. God applauds those who mourn for they will be comforted. God applauds the meek and they inherit the earth. God applauds those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and he fills them. God applauds those who show mercy. God applauds the pure in heart. He celebrates. God celebrates the peacemakers and calls them his children. God celebrates those who are persecuted, for theirs also is the kingdom of heaven. It's a declaration. Blessed is something we can actually do for God. We can bless God. That's what worship is, don't you think? Worship is celebrating who God is. How often do we see in Scripture the reference to God as the blessed God? We can bless God, and God blesses us. I want to just point out three ideas here. Blessedness is a state of well-being, hope, and joy. Blessedness flows out of our life in Christ. Christ said, I came that you might have life to the full. And because of that, it is not dependent on on our circumstances. This blessedness thrives in the midst of the storms. When life is crashing over me, this blessedness survives. I want that. I want that blessedness to have that peace that passes all understanding, that hope that endures. Here's another way that blessedness is defined. Sacred delight a delight rooted in God, from God, that permeates all of life's experience. It is meant to be a quality that is observable and experienced in the life of God's children. Let me just take a minute before we look at the first of these blessings and just give an overview of the, of the Beatitudes themselves. And you'll just see I've put a number of things here that you might want to take down. Often we think of the Beatitudes as New Testament equivalent to Proverbs. as a way, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, to find a silver lining. If you're poor, well, you still got the kingdom of God. That's not what this is meant to be. It's also not a list of requirements to get to heaven. In some sense, Jesus is laying down a new law for the new culture, which is the kingdom of God. But just like the Old Testament, the law was never given as a means of attaining righteousness. It was given as a means of transforming the people of God into the image of God. These are not separate types of people based on their circumstances and what God will give them when life takes away. These characteristics are to mark every believer and they're progressive. They build one on the other. In one sense, you could look at this as the 
spiritual attitudes that are part of our journey into the kingdom of God and then maturing as citizens of the kingdom of God. If you look at them this way, poor in spirit, that's about recognizing our spiritual need. We're going to look at that today. When I recognize my need, I repent. Blessed are those who mourn. And then I surrender to God's control. That's meekness. Once I've experienced God, I want more. I hunger and thirst for God in His life. And as I grow closer to God, I become more like Him, and I begin to show mercy as I have received mercy. My outlook and my motivation changes. As the old man is put away and the new man takes root, and I become pure in my heart, and that allows me to become a peacemaker. I'm able to reach out to people with active love, not with self-preservation and personal priorities. And even when life gets tough, because I've taken this journey of transformation, my faith holds no matter how dark and difficult the circumstances. Each of these qualities are to be ours, and one steps into the next. They build one upon another. Does that make sense to you? So with that in mind, let's take the first step in this transformation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The word poor in the Greek means destitute, helpless, bankrupt. This destituteness, this helplessness is spiritual. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't intend us to minister to the poor. We are to visit the prisoner. We are to feed and clothe those in need. But that's not what he's talking about here. We are to be poor in spirit, recognizing that we are spiritually helpless and destitute. That's one of the first attitudes that's necessary and is part of the kingdom life. Look at this passage in Isaiah chapter 66 where God says, this is the one I esteem. That word actually means bless. In fact, some translations say that. This is the one that I bless. This is the one that I applaud, I esteem, who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. That's being poor in spirit. As we go through this sermon, it's helpful to recognize Jesus' constant comparison with life in his kingdom and the kingdom of God as the Pharisees saw it. When we get to the segment on kingdom righteousness, you will hear him say multiple times, you have heard it said. And then he will quote either the Old Testament law or the Pharisaical law and then say, but I say to you. So throughout this, Jesus is contrasting the Pharisees who believed I could attain the kingdom of God through self-righteousness and merit with how you actually enter the kingdom of God. It's not about merit. Let me give you an example. Go with me to Luke chapter 18. One short parable of Jesus, beginning at verse 9, where he tells the story of two different people that came to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisees gleaned the highest respect, the tax collectors the lowest, because they were Jews who had sold out to Rome. Let's begin reading, verse 9. 
to some who were confident of their own righteousness. So who's he talking about? The Pharisees, confident in their own righteousness. And looked down on everyone else. (laughs) Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What's he doing? Before God, he's bragging. He's holding up his self-righteousness as the reason why God should approve him or applaud him or bless him. But, Jesus goes on, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This just plays right into this first beatitude. It's the contrast between those who use their self-righteousness thinking that that somehow will get them into the kingdom of heaven. And what does Jesus say? Not that man, but the tax collector will come into the kingdom of heaven, will be justified before God. So if we would wrap up this idea of what it means to be poor in spirit, it means to be completely aware of my spiritual helplessness so that I might allow God to bring me into his kingdom. That brings us to the blessing. What what is the kingdom of God? Life in and with God now and forever. The blessed and abundant life Jesus came to give. And here is the main point, and please get it. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. God doesn't save us because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We need to embrace our spiritual helplessness so that we can receive God's free gift of grace. And so the first teaching of the Sermon of the Mount, what do we see? The Gospel. Sin has separated us from our God. No effort we could possibly put in will make up for the sin. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Paul says the wages, the result, what we deserve because of that sin. The wages of sin is death. Embrace this term, I am without God, spiritually destitute and bankrupt. You say, Tom, that's that's not a very empowering thing. (laughs) I'm not feeling very blessed right now. (laughs) Oh, but you should be. Because God didn't do that. You and I did it. And the blessing comes from being able to get there 
so that God can then bless us by providing what we need to enter into his kingdom. And that's his gift of salvation, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, Paul goes on and says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See that? So try this out. Without God, I am spiritually bankrupt. Try that. Without God. Hashtag feeling blessed. <laughs> Father, we're such a prideful group, this race. We want a religion where we can prove our worth, but we already have worth. You love us, and you demonstrated that love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You provided a way through Christ that we could be blessed, Father, and therefore receive the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. I pray for those here today who are still struggling with getting to that place of acknowledging what is already true, that spiritual helplessness. And I pray that they will get there. And I pray that they will see how blessed it is that you can meet them there and bring them into life through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.